Hi guys, it's Rylan here, welcoming you to another reunion brought to you by my friends at Sky Bingo. Now, if you've only just found this podcast, I basically reunite lots of amazing celebrity guests and get all of the gossip. However, today's a little bit different because if you've listened to my Christmas episode back in 2021, you would have heard that I was reunited with people from my past. Today, well, I have no idea who it is. It could be the woman over the shop where I go and get my nice little magazines from or something. I don't know. So this is as new to me as it is to you. But now is the time for me to find out who I'm about to be reunited with. Here we go. Oh my God, it's Davina! (laughs) Even now I get the butterflies when I see your face. Oh, hi. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. I'm really, really good, actually. And feeling sort of, I love New Year's. Really? I I love a sort of start of uh, another year because it's always full of hope. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's what we all need a bit of hope, don't we? Mm. We really do. We really do. Davina, it's so lovely to see you and it's so lovely to speak to you. Um, You are... Well, you are, you're an icon. I'm putting it out there. Like, that's the word we're going to use. You're a legend. I don't know why you've not got the damehood yet, but we can we can have a row about it somewhere down the line. Um, Basically, I'm too young. Yeah, that's it. She's only 12. You just, it, I don't know how she spit it all in, but she's only 12. But she, it's on its way. It is on its way. But you know what, Davina? I'll never forget. I mean, we met a good few years back now, and I've always been such... Mm in awe of you, not just because you know how much I love Big Brother, but you as a host have literally been part of my life and a lot of people's lives for so long. And you, I feel like you're one of those people that have seen it, done it, worn the T-shirt, been Mm. through it, but still at the end of it, you're still unaffected by it. And that's what I loved so much about meeting you. They always say, don't meet people that you admire but the second I met you, I'll never forget it was on this morning, you just cuddled me straight away and I was like, she is exactly what I thought she was going to be. <laughs> I seem to remember I sort of like literally piled on you. You mounted me is the word <laughs> I will use. You mounted me. <laughs> I mean, I weren't moaning about it, but it, it was quite an experience. I was the envy of a lot of my straight mates, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, honestly, when I met you, I was so excited, mm. actually, mm. because you you were everything I wanted you to be. And now, obviously, years on, we've we've worked together and done stuff together and we, we talk. And it's so lovely to have you as part of my life because you're just such a feel-good person. And I think, like I just said, you you've been through literally everything mm. I feel like I could throw anything at Davina McCall and Davina would know the answer mm. do, do you feel like that in yourself well I think I think the longer you're alive for the more you experience in life and I always I, I, it's been very interesting bringing up children because I spend a lot of time trying to safeguard them from either mental health issues mm. or trying to um look at but actually, as I've got older and they've got older, I have learned that the more obstacles they have to get over and you have to get over an obstacle like, you know, or or find a way around it, then you become very resourceful, mm. resourceful emotionally. So you can kind of draw on those resources when you hit the next obstacle, because life is just a series of obstacles. Mm. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but because out of every obstacle comes a lesson, you know, some kind of fantastic piece of information that I will definitely and they will use going forward. So rather than fearing all of these bad things that happen to kids or, you know, emotional turmoil or um, difficulties at school or whatever they go through, rather than kind of continually me trying to help them avoid it completely. Mm. I'm like, okay, well, here's an obstacle. What do we do? Like, how do we get you through it? And um, that's worked out much better than trying to kind of protect them. So I suppose I've been hit by a lot of obstacles. But Mm. really, when when I talk to anybody in the street, and I know, Brian, you love people, right? Like, I think we're very similar. Very. And... 
I would say almost that you you love real people more than celebrities. Like, oh you, my god, a hundred percent. Do you know what I mean? And everybody that you meet, and I know that you know this, everyone has got a story. Yeah. I thought I thought like I would love to do a YouTube channel where I just had a chair, two chairs on a bridge somewhere, anywhere, yeah. and I just I just have a, like a sign saying, "Do you want to come tell me your story?" I have a little chat because. Even like, you know, you talk to any 15, 16 year old, they've got a story, like yeah. something's happened to them or in life. And it was interesting. I was talking to my, my daughter yesterday. Sorry, well, and I'm talking a lot. No, God, are you joking? Carry the f on. <laughs> I'm like this. I feel like I'm That's an audience talking. with. I'm going to sit back. It's lovely. <laughs> I didn't even have to pay for it. Go on. <laughs> so my daughter, Tilly, who's my second daughter, um, and she won't mind me saying this, but she's uh, because she talks about it quite a lot and she's quite open about it, but she's quite dyslexic. And so this kind of exam um, culture that we have at school does not suit her at all. She's always really struggled. And her big sister is just naturally academic and um, has really enjoyed school and the school process. And when she reads something, she remembers it. And so it's been quite frustrating for my second child because She's really battled through and she did her theory driving test. She took it three times. She passed on the fourth. And, you know, she was like, oh, God, because it was learning. It was kind of fun. But driving, she's a natural. And she's passed. Yeah, she did. And, and her big sister, who was a natural at everything and completely brilliant at school and has never had any hassle at all, failed her driving test. And I called her big sister yesterday and I said, look, I'm so scared that Tilly's going to fail because I remember you when you failed. And she said, mm. but I'd never failed at anything before. It was my first failure. And I was like, oh, that's why it was so terrible. Like I literally had to kind of scoop mm. her off the floor and just hold her like a baby yeah. like and hug her because it was so catastrophic. And she was 18. Yeah. But Tilly, who's had to pick herself up, scoop herself up, she was like, if I fail, I fail. You know, I thought, Oh wow! This is what happens when you struggle. Yeah, you know, you become really resilient. Resilient. So, yeah. uh, my kids teach me stuff all the time. Like I learn so much from them. How are you at school? I, I mean, strangely, I was quite academic at school, especially in my early years. Like primary school, I was extremely academic. I was top of my class with everything, and then I got into a, a very good secondary school. And it was one of those schools where you had to take a test to get in and yeah. all of things like that. It was quite selective back then. Um, and then I think when I when I hit sort of my mid-teens, sort of 13, 14, 15, I think I realised that, and this is my opinion and this is what I thought, what I want to do in my life, I learned quite young for me, and this isn't for everyone, that... I don't necessarily need a bit of paper to tell me I can do it. Mm. So whether that, it's different if I wanted to be a surgeon or a doctor or something like that, but I knew that's not what I wanted to do. Mm. And I wouldn't say I wasted my school years because actually I, I think I embraced them. But if I knew there was something that this isn't for me, I wouldn't throw myself into it. So when it came down to things like GCSEs and things like that, I would sit there and go, okay, if I get an A star, I get an A star. If I get a U, I get a U. Like, that's that's just how it is because ultimately I know if I really want to do something and I've not got to physically have a seven-year qualification to cut someone open and do a heart transplant, which I weren't going to do, I know I can do it. And I knew the industry that I wanted to to break into. But did you did you feel like that when you were younger? Mm. I mean, I was I was sort of um, a classic, slightly lost teenager, and I had I had a dual life. So when I was kind of up until I was thirteen, I was living with my granny, and my granny was you know a God fearing. I went to church every Sunday. I was in the church choir, mm. um, and she was she taught me all my kind of moral compass and manners and she was quite strict in that way but yeah. she was also the all singing all dancing girl power she did all the lawn mowing she did all the kind of 
cooking and sort of sorting. She was, a, you know, from the war, so she could just sort of do anything she turned her hand to. She was very inspiring. Wonder Woman. Yeah. But then at the same time, I was spending the holidays in France with my mum, who was, I mean, you would have loved her, but she was a terrible mother. So she was like a wild alcoholic who was kind of really good fun to everybody else, but would sort of go out in a fake fur electric yeah blue coat to the floor with no clothes on underneath and flash people and other people would find that hilariously funny but I'd just be dying a thousand deaths but I also had no boundaries no um like curfew time to come in I could wear any makeup I could wear any clothes I looked like such a lolita when I was in France and then I'd go back to my kind of um very strict granny where I would literally be looking like some sort of Amish child yeah. and um, sort of so prim and proper I had these weird this weird thing and I never told the French people about my life in London uh, in the country and I never told my granny about my life in Paris and then when I moved to London the sort of this weird double life had already begun and the secrecy had already begun and actually my dad and my stepmom were amazing at bringing me up in London, um, but I I was already going off I was already going off the rails. And so my teenage years, I was I was quite bright at school, but then I just I just lost it. Yeah. And um, so I I didn't know what I wanted to do, and it was only later I was singing. I, like if you. I keep I always say like my drug of choice now is music. If you if I need to change my mood or change the way that I feel, I play music. If I want to cry, I play music. I'll play something that yeah. moves me so much that I just have a good old weep. If I want to feel euphoric, yeah. I listen to house music and like I listen to it in my headphones and I just get this high, you know. So that was my first love, and I really wanted to sing because I ultimately am such a show-off and love attention, you know. And I was like, I loved being on the stage, being sort of in front of a crowd. I was in a band, a jazz band. I just wasn't a good enough singer. I think, like, loads of people can sing, but I didn't have a voice that anybody would recognise or it wasn't extraordinary, it wasn't standout, you know. At the risk of sounding cliche, I didn't have the X factor. You know, that that thing. Just that summing. You know, that thing. I don't know, like, that gets you noticed. So I realised then that I thought, okay, well, I'll get a job in music. So I went um, for a few interviews at London Records and Sony and places like that. And then I thought, God, I want to work at MTV Music, television, like the greatest thing ever. Everybody, yeah. the average age is 26 years old. It's buzzing. Nobody knows what they're doing. Everybody's learning at the same time. So I spent three years trying to get a job there. But it's like you said, and I'd be very interested to see why you think you have it. Yeah. And how can people get it if they don't have it? Is that dogged, yeah. absolute focus yeah. that if you want to do something, you think I'm going to bloody do it until I get it. You've just hit the nail on the head there with MTV. So when you there, like you said, the average age was 26 and everyone was learning. See, I feel that that's where me and you had a similar start, if you like, in, in this world. Because obviously I went in Celebrity Big Brother and then I got offered the job on Big Brother. I'd never presented a show in my life, but I was thrown in at the deep end. And actually, I always answer the same way when someone asks me about that job. And I always say, Big Brother was my apprenticeship. Mm. I felt like an apprentice plumber going to work with someone who had been doing it for a million years and watching them being thrown into someone's house and having to change a pipe. Mm. And if I broke the pipe and it started leaking, I had to patch that pipe up and do it again. And the difference was, I felt like I was doing that apprenticeship on TV Mm. and there's no way to learn a job other than being thrown in at the deep end. Mm. And and it's the same with you. You know, you went for it. You knew what you wanted to do. And you say MTV, especially back then, Mm. MTV was, like you say, the best of both worlds. There's not really much of that now, Mm. even on MTV now. But it was live TV. It was music. It was chat. It was interviews. And 
I mean, from that, obviously, I know it spawned with Street Mate and, and things like that. And for you, I mean, Street Mate was just, mm. I think, the perfect format. Mm. And you were the perfect host for it. I love that show. I mean, I think the, the amazing thing about MTV was that it, um, like you said, it was a learning curve. I made so many horrific mistakes on MTV, but yeah. basically no one saw it. Or if they did, they didn't care. They were in, you know, a foreign country and they didn't care. Like they just thought it was funny. And then I started realizing, like you, own them, own it, don't cover it up, own it. Exactly. And it was like, oh, and that's what was so good about learning on live TV, which is what you did. 100%. Live TV is the best place to learn. The f- my first day ever on telly was on MTV, and it was a day live. I was in Denmark Street, and I had to find a, uh, a musician to play with Crowded House that evening. And I was on telly live all day. And I had the best day of my life. Really? I was like... This is what I was made for because, like you again, I was. it was my passion. I love music. I love all instruments. I loved listening to people. I loved um, thinking what would be good for Crowded House because I loved Crowded House. It was like, oh, my God, this is perfect. And you already had a passion for Big Brother mm. that had been going for 11 years. Like you were so knowledgeable about past Big Brothers. You were more knowledgeable I'm not going to say than me. You were as knowledgeable as me, Ronan. Um, and, 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 um, and, you know, like, that's the passion. And if you don't have the passion, you can see it. Mm. You can't fake it. And you have always been very open and very honest about your experiences, uh, about your personal life as well and I know that you uh, very candidly spoke about how you had your own personal battles with with drugs and, and things like that growing up. Going back to you saying you were leading these two lives, when you were in the country and being the convent girl, shall we say, and then being in Paris and, <laughs> and being the, the fur coat girl, um, when you moved to London, did you feel that those two girls met? Because London is the place mm. where you can be whoever you want to be. Ultimately. Yeah. I mean, they didn't really meet because my dad and my stepmom had boundaries. So I still had to follow rules. And whereas in France, um, you know, I, I mean, it was crazy when I think back to it. I was allowed to go away. I was 14, go away with a bunch of 20-year-olds for a weekend, took loads of drugs. You know, 14, like... Mm. I, I and I thought I was it, you know. Yeah. I thought oh, I'm so cool. I really know what's going on. Like I didn't know what was going on, and um, I think the thing, I think the thing that's sad when I look back at myself was that I was kind of masquerading because I'd taken drugs and I'd lived a very different life from most fourteen year olds I knew. I thought I was really cool and an adult, but I just didn't have the emotional maturity to deal with what was happening to me. And in turn, you know, situations I'd get myself in, scrapes where I'd just get through safely, um, you know, I mean, and other other times when I didn't get through safely. Hmm. And, you know, all the things that you have to learn from those kind of mistakes, but mistakes that I really, I would hate my daughters or my son to have to go through. So the idea that I've got them to this point, I'm very pleased about. But I, I mean, again, you know, I wouldn't change my past. I'm sad I had to go through it, but I did, I did learn a lot from it and it has made me who I am today. And I am a very different person to that girl back then. I mean, that, that little girl. Who has it made you? Well, I think... I think it's made me a more um, whole person because I've spent years in recovery, in meetings, um, learning to fill the the hole that I tried to fill with drugs, mm. but learning how to fill that myself. I had this kind of aching kind of chasm in my in my heart, in my chest, and. It made me very insecure and needy. 
And the only time where I felt super confident and fantastic was when I was high. Mm. And so I was always seeking. And every time I'd get a dip from being, you know, on a night out and I'd think, well, the drugs are wearing off. I'd be like desperately seeking where's the next drug going to come from. You know, I I'm not ready to finish yet. And I feel like now I'm a much, you know, if somebody waved a magic wand and was like, oh, look, I mean, I feel so, so distant from addiction. Like I just, I feel so distant from that. But alcohol is around me all the time, right? Yeah. Like so, and I thought if somebody waved a magic wand and said, okay, drink, I, I just wouldn't do it. I just don't, I just don't need it. Mm. And I, I, it's not that I judge anybody else for needing it. It's just that previously I couldn't drink because every time I drank, I'd take drugs. But yeah. I just, even if somebody said you can drink and you won't take drugs, I just don't want to anymore. And no. I think that's a signal of where I'm at as a person. Have you ever taken drugs? I mean, I've never been in that place where I feel that I need to do something like that. And I've been around, I mean, babe, I was in a boy band in Ibiza. So you can, mm. you can imagine that the, the world mm. that I was in living out there, but I've never felt the need to do that. I'm, I think I'm a control freak is my problem a little mm. bit. And mm. the thought of not being in control of something, even when I've had a drink, like, you know, lately I've, I've gone out a few times and I've drunk more than probably I usually would, but I'm, quite honest about it I've been going through a bit of a tough time and that's not me saying I've got a drink issue because I definitely haven't but mm. if I'm going out on a night out probably a year or two ago I'd think oh I can feel myself getting a bit pissed so I'm gonna slow down mm. whereas now I think do what the f I want like if I'm being completely honest then mm. I'll keep drinking mm. and then I'll wake up the next day and I'll think god I was talking bollocks last night or I was doing this and I hate that I hate that feeling I hate that feeling of going, mm. I don't, I'm never the person that can't remember something. I'm the person people ring and go, what happened last night? And I will sit there and do it word for word. And there's been a few times that I've gone out and thinking, how the f*** did I get home? Like genuinely. And that's not yeah. me. That is not me. But I get why I've been doing that. And I get why I've, mm. I've mm. you know, I'm just letting myself go a bit. But at the same time, I don't think I would want to get to a point where, I was doing something or doing anything that could affect what I've got because that frightens me daily. And, you know, working in this industry, you know, mm. we've, we've, we've both been through divorce and, and we've both been through loss mm. and grief, whatever that mm. grief is. And our careers that we've both got, we're both very lucky and you are one of those people that I know is grateful for what mm, you've got so lucky. and never take it for granted. Mm. But we both understand at the end of the day, regardless of what we get paid, what jobs we actually do, how many days a week we work, we both on paper are freelancers. We are self-employed freelancers mm. that at any point could just not be could working. Could all end. Yeah, mm. simple as that. Mm. It could mm. come out tomorrow mm. that God forbid something, you've done something terrible or I've done something terrible, it all ends. Mm. That's it. Not saying mm. that has happened, mm. but it only takes one person to say one thing and they could be believed, whether it's true or not. Mm. And I always sit there and think that. So I try and take each day as it comes, but I worry too much. I'm a bit of a worrier. And over the last couple of months, I haven't worried as much as probably I should. You know, I've been in situations where people could be taking pictures of me and I've took my top off somewhere. I don't do that. But because I'm so drunk, I'll just have a laugh. I don't care no more. Like, that's where I'm at. But at the same time, I've got to find that balance. I feel like, Rylan, though, that's something that happens as you get older. Like, you've been through something, like, really tough. And you've got through the other side. And you've been gloriously honest about what you've been through and the feelings and the trauma and everything. And now it's like... it. it ramps up this thing of like oh you know I just want to live my life and as you get older I meet more and more men and women in their 50s who are kind of I call it the second spring mm. who are having this kind of second spring of like actually do you know what I don't care if you laugh at what I'm wearing um 
I don't know if you've noticed, but my outfits on The Masked Singer um, have been, you know, quite risque. Uh, uh, no, and... they're sexy <laughs> and I'm there for it. <laughs> and because I'm like, I don't, I would have, 10 years ago, I would have been nervous about putting myself out there like that for fear of being judged. And yeah. now I don't really care. I care, well, I do sometimes, I'm not going to lie, but I care so much less. And mm. it's very liberating. And with every year that passes and every experience that you have, you just begin to care less and less. I meet so many funny women uh, in their 50s who are just absolutely brilliant, living their best lives, behaving <laughs> appallingly. It's so funny. <laughs> and you think, oh, there's hope. That is it. That is it. But do you think that comes with the fact that I know you're with Michael and Every time I see you, you make me so sick because I can see how loved up the pair of you are. I was hosting the Hairdressing Awards last year and I just saw you and him. Oh, my God. And and I was sort of like mid-trauma at that point. And I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull that high ponytail off of that bitch's head in a minute. Because you two <laughs> were like the epitome of love. And I was like, oh, I hate him. But literally having a little oh, dance to Tony Adley, I was like, here they go. But I literally, do you think that comes with being comfortable in your relationship and comfortable mm. in your personal life? But it's interesting, isn't it? Because you wonder whether it's um, the law of attraction is that when you become happier in life, like happy, good things come to you. I, I don't know if that's mm. true. I'm just kind of like putting that out there. But it's so easy to stay in in like a situation. I was with some friends of mine at the weekend. I went to like a double birthday party. And two of them were like at crossroads in their lives. And interestingly, both in their 30s. And they said, you know, we're, we're at a crossroads. We want to leave our jobs. We want to go do something different. And I'm like, do it, do it now, because it's so easy to stay in something that's comfortable, that's um, easy, but there's a niggle. Familiar. There's, yeah, familiar, but it's, it's not right for you. And we can waste years of our life, but when you do something mega for yourself and you change that course of your life and you go on a different path, even though it's absolutely terrifying, something good always comes out of it always and that mm. law of attraction of you thinking I'm putting myself out there and I think you know there's been a lot of talk about manifesting and seeing something and being able I think I've always naturally done that I've had a focus of where I want to go and what I want my life to look like or where I want to work or the kind of programs that I want to make and I think because I can see what I want to do I, I'm always walking towards it. Sometimes I never get there. Mm. Sometimes while I'm walking towards it, another opportunity comes up and I think, oh, I want to do that. But I keep walking, never stagnate, never kind of stop and sit in something. That is another thing that I've learned from looking at other friends of mine who've been very brave and done things or made a leap of faith or been desperately unhappy and, mm. and thought, oh, I'm going I'm to make that change. And that's, uh, that's been kind of immensely fruitful for them. And I always look to other people for inspiration, you know, because you think, okay, well, look at them there. You know, they seem like they know what they're doing. I mean, social media yeah. is quite good for that. It's also terrible for comparison. Oh, both. It, you get the best of both mm. worlds on there, but the worst of both worlds on mm. there is... I mean, social media is quite a, an interesting subject because you, you've probably spent more of your career without it, haven't you? Yeah. Totally. I mean, you know what I was thinking about the other day? I was thinking about you and having spent, what, four months off? Yeah, yeah, four months. What was that like? I was ill. So I was I was really in a bad way mm. um, for that four months. So I, it's really, really strange because lately I have been thinking about it. And I was thinking about it was summer as well. And I, I know last summer was really hot and and people were enjoying themselves. And 
I, I had no phone. I, I, I wasn't looking at my phone for any other purposes than one thing. And I wasn't looking at the news. I didn't know what was going on in the world. I had no social media. I'd handed that all over to management. I'd, I'd seen nothing. And in one respect, that was the best thing for me. Mm. But in the same respect, I look back now and I don't, I do regret how I got, but I couldn't help how I got, mm. if that makes sense. Um, but I wished. I wished I'd just gone to work. Mm. I wished I had the ability to go to work and try and distract myself from what was going on in my life. Mm. But I actually couldn't. Mm. I actually couldn't. And for every, and I'm not even saying day, for every hour mm. that passed, it got worse. Mm. It got worse and worse and worse. Mm. And it took a lot for me to go back to social media but I knew I had to do it to for a want of a better term feel normal again mm. because it was part of my job and it was part of my life and mm. I, I sort of tried I, I eased myself back in though I tried mm. to stop looking at certain things um, because we both know certain things that are said or written aren't necessarily the truth mm. or especially on social media people make up their own minds about what they think you're going through and mm. it's like you've got no idea which is why I felt the need to I there was an interview that came out about me not long ago and it was very honest and that was never supposed to be that interview mm. like I was I was never planned on doing that that was never part of my plan whatever mm. I was there to talk about this podcast mm. that's what I was there for and all of a sudden I was caught at the wrong or right time yeah. whatever you want to say it was and the journalist just said something to me mm. and I just looked at her in the eye and just went, no, I weren't all right. And it was, and I just, my makeup artist who's one of my friends, Bernice, mm. she was there for me very much through the summer. And I just saw her look and it was almost like that approval of someone else going, do it. Mm. It's fine. Like, mm. don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Um, but yeah, it, I never thought something like that would ever happen to me like sort of mentally that mm. I'd ever get so bad but now it has mm. it doesn't scare me that it can happen again but it just makes me realize you're not invincible mm. and actually whatever life throws at me now as hard as things might be because I've been there and like you said you've been there for different reasons with the addictions and stuff like that because you've been there you know you've got it in you to never let yourself go that far again mm. because ultimately it is you. Mm. It is you that lets you go there. It is you that picks up that drink. It is you that takes those drugs. And that's how I feel now. And as much as I'll have my days where I feel shit or I feel like, no, this isn't, this isn't right. I'm not in the right place at the moment. I shouldn't be here alone. I shouldn't be this. Mm. I then have to realise actually where I was was the worst place I could have been. Yeah. So wherever I am now, even if it doesn't feel amazing, totally, it's not there. Does that make sense? I mean, I think social media can lift you up, mm. but it can annihilate you as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think we all, I always say when people talk about our job and, this isn't all oh, at poor celebrities. It's not in the slightest. I'm grateful for what I've got, mm. but it it is difficult. Like we're not working down the mines, but it's it, it's difficult when people think they know you. It's different yeah. in a different way yeah. because everybody everybody has an opinion, and I think what I was thinking about the other day with cancel culture and this is the kind of new thing that I think celebrities or um actors or you know anybody really in the public eye is sort of the most terrified of is this culture of you say something and mm. you get cancelled and um and I think that's such an interesting thing because I was I was I mean I go deep when I think about things and I was, I was thinking why why is cancelling such a, a tough thing? Because, and I think what it is, is it's about the lack of forgiveness that anybody 
is allowed to have for making a mistake. Yeah. You know, like when somebody says something, I can't think of anybody offhand. And I, I'm actually, if I'm honest, I'm frightened of making examples in case I get cancelled for what looks like supporting somebody that said yeah. something. So I don't want to think of an example. Mm. That's how bad it's got. Yeah, I get it. But what I mean is if somebody says something and I think that's a celebrity that I have known for many years. I mean, one of the things that I think is really weird is hauling somebody over the coals for a tweet that they made in 2011. Mm. I mean, oh my God, in 11 years or 12 years, I've changed so much. When a journalist says to me, I interviewed you eight years ago and you said this, and I say, I've changed my mind. Mm. Like, you've got to be allowed to change your mind. Sometimes people, you know, sometimes people could have been racist or homophobic 10 years ago 12 years ago and some they might have met somebody along the way who's made them see the light and they are so ashamed of the way that they used to feel Mm. then they get hauled over the coals and they apologize and yet they are still that that apology is not enough that they are still branded because because we live homophobic we live in a world of the block button the block button isn't just online that's not just a mm. digital thing. It's actually in real life. Mm. There's an episode of Black Mirror where you can mm. block people and literally you don't see them again. You cancel them out and you cut them out. And we live there now. Mm. We've not got that tech, but we live there now. Mm. I mean, there are so many people that that I know, and I'm not going to mention any names, that were very much very good friends of mine in this industry, very good friends, the nicest people you could ever wish to be around. And they'll say one thing. And I'll even admit, before I met the person I'm thinking of, I thought, I'm not going to get on with that person. I know I'm not. I'm just, I know I'm not going to get on with that person. And they're actually one of my closest. And they'll say one thing. Mm. And I just, it's whenever I see the name trending, I'm like, what's been said now? And I know where that person's coming from. Mm. But I know what what someone who's just sitting on Twitter wanting to cancel someone would think. Mm. And it's like... Mm. Where where does it stop? Where does it stop? Mm. Like, the, and where is it going to go? But also, like, the only the only way that I have learned in life is by forming um, opinions about how I feel about things. And if I listen to somebody I absolutely one hundred percent disagree with, I can formulate an opinion about that and say, "Well, I disagree with that because." I think I feel like this and I feel like that. And I, you know, um, and so that's, that's interesting. That's why programs like question time are Mm. interesting because you've got all sides of the political spectrum. Sometimes there's somebody on there that drives you mad that you want to literally Mm. scream at the television about, but that's a Mm. good thing. We must not stop the Mm. voices that Mm. annoy us or aggravate us, or say something different by by shaming them. John Ronson wrote a really interesting book called You've Been Publicly Shamed, and um, he got cancelled for something he said. I can't even remember what it was now, but um, it is a, an interesting thing because it seems that forgiveness isn't, isn't on the agenda anymore, and I wonder... And I'm sort of a lapsed Christian, really. But I wonder if it is this kind of loss of religion, like this loss of anybody following any kind of religion means that you are unable to pardon somebody. You just will hold that vendetta against Mm. them forever, even if they are hand on heart, genuinely really sorry. It seems really sad. Mm. I just think that the world... In my eyes, I I feel like, especially after you've been through something, whether you want to call it trauma or whatever, Mm. I just feel like I look at things so differently now. And I look at everything really, really simple, which is quite strange. And nothing simple. We all know that. But Mm. I think I'm doing that for my own benefit. Mm. And if there's someone that I don't want to be around and there's someone that I think you're not good for me or in this situation, Mm. then that's fine. Okay, go. Or I don't need to reply to you now. Or or just say, listen, this isn't for me, but good luck. Yeah. 
And if there's a job that I really don't want to do, but everyone's saying to me, mm. you know, this is really good for your career or this is really, really good for that. I understand when it comes down to work, you have to weigh up pros and cons. Mm. If I don't want to do it, I'm not going to do it. And that's not because I'm being difficult. It's because I've just been to hell and back. Mm. And I want to sit there and go, no, that's not going to make me happy. That's not going to make me happy. And ultimately, yeah. all I want, genuinely hand on heart, I just want to be happy, as cliche as that is, and I know everyone does, but I just want to be mm. happy. Mm. And I know that's a really broad spectrum of things to say, but I just feel like I look at things now and go, like my mum, for instance, my mum come round earlier today and I've got... Oh my God, Rylan, Rylan, I love your mum. <laughs> Please. She I love her just, so much. She's amazing. She's a nightmare. She is a nightmare. She's amazing. But she's done it this morning. She's come round here and she went, um, oh, you've done the washing. I said, yes, mum. I, I, I'm 33 years old. I do washing. It's like, that's what we do. And she was like, oh, I'll go and, I'll go and put that upstairs for you. I went, oh, thanks, mum. That's nice. I then went into the gym and she's barged in. Where are all the hangers? <laughs> Where are all the hangers? I went, well, mum, I've got rid of all the old hangers because I've just ordered new wooden ones. Like, I want them all the same. And she went, well, where am I supposed to hang these up then? I went, well, it doesn't matter. Like, just, just put them on the side. It's, it's not a problem. I'll sort it out. And she was like, well, no, this is a joke. How am I supposed to hang this up for? And she was talking like there'd been an earthquake or there'd been a, you know, like some massive disaster. And I'm like, mum, you need to just chill out. It's really not a big deal. The hangers are coming. I will hang it up. Well, this is a joke. And I'm going, Mum, this isn't your worry. And that's, she has taught me, don't be like that. <laughs> Just leave it. Enjoy it. No, but do you know what she's doing? As a mum, I can tell you what she's doing. That her worrying about your hangers and not having somewhere to hang is her caring for you. I know it is. I know it is, but I just want her... It's the way she's showing you love. It's so sweet. I just want her... I just want her to... Don't stress yourself out over a hanger. Relax, yeah. It's fine. We'll sort it. It's not a big Mm. deal. Like, I've got to take her hospital tomorrow. And I said, so, yeah, mum, I'll drive you to the hospital in the morning. She's got a hospital Mm. appointment. Mm. Every single day since last Thursday, don't forget, pick me up at ten past ten. And I'm like, I will... Mum, I will pick up at 10 past 10. I've told you that. All right, bye. 10 minutes later. You haven't forgot, have you? And it's like, Mum, look, calm down. It's absolutely fine. And do you know what? It's just after last year, I just sit there and go, it's not even worth sweating the small stuff no more. It's just <laughs> enjoy yourself and try and try and relax with it. Do you know what I mean? Can I ask you something? Because I'm, I'm a bit obsessed by it at the moment. My daughter sent me a quiz and it was the um, love languages quiz. Do you know about love languages? No. Oh my God, you're going to love it. it. So on the podcast, we ended up kind of deep diving into love, love languages. And there's a book called The Five Languages of Love, I think. And so we recommended it on the podcast because it's really simple. It's that we, there are five love languages and you and I, for example, have got different ones. And love languages isn't just about carnal love with a lover, like whether you'd get on with somebody as a lover. It's also about friendship. Mm -hmm. It's also really um, shown me something about my kids that's been quite interesting. I mean, although when my daughter told me what her love language was, I was like, I could have told you that because she's she needs words of affirmation, which is one of the love languages. So if I say to Holly, Holly, I am so proud of you. She's 20. I'm so proud of you. Literally, she will well up. If I really? say, Holly, you did a good job, she'll well up. She she just feels loved when I tell her words of affirmation. Right. Now, the other ones are touch, mm. which is, as you may have guessed, my primary love language. <laughs> Loves it. Loves <laughs> oh, it. Oh, what a surprise. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's that can be affirming, like a hand. Uh, I like a you know, a reassurance, a hold hand, a, cuddle, a hug. Yeah. Um, so COVID for me was tough in that respect, mm. like not being touched and not being loved uh, or not being able to hug friends or see friends. Like I've really struggled with that. So there's touch, there's gifts, which interestingly, I and my daughter Holly scored zero on. Like gifts don't mean anything to us. Mm. 
but I've got another girlfriend of mine and gifts is her number one. Like if, if somebody gave her a gift, it doesn't really matter what it is. It shows her that she's loved. Right. So I don't, so that's interesting. The other one is acts of service, which is my second language of love. So if I am supported in terms of um, somebody helping me, so if, if my kids come down to the kitchen and say to me, can I help? And I go, oh, my God, that would be lovely. Could you unload the dishwasher? I feel loved. Yeah. So, But when you explain something in terms of like that, hang on, what was the other one? Quality time. So I've got a friend of mine, and theirs is quality time. And I used to, I don't know if you ever do this, but I used to get on the on the phone and do a FaceTime or something. I love FaceTime. And I'd be doing something else, and I'd be sorting this, and I'd be over there, and I'd be making a cup of tea. But now I know that my friend's love language is quality time. I, when I FaceTime her, I sit down, and I talk. literally talk yeah. like nonstop to yeah. her because – I know it will make her feel the way that I feel about her. Yeah, it's fascinating. You've got to do the test. I need to find I'm out. Send, it to you send me the this. test after this because I need I'll send to know it to you. my love it's language. It's free. The test is free, and then you can buy the book. The book's super cheap. Right, I'm in. I'm sold. I'm sending it to you. You're listening to the Reunion, brought to you by my friends at Sky Bingo, with a lot of chat, laughs, and some exciting times with some of your faves. That's one for you, Sky Bingo. I've got to ask you some questions, Davina, yes. because okay, go. normally, like I said, we, we reunite the guests with someone, but actually this is one between me and you, but I'm still going to ask you three questions. Yes. And they're quite important questions. So one, mm-hmm. if you could reunite with anyone from your life, whether it be professional or personal, who would it be and why? What, the dead or alive? Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would, I would reunite with um, my sister, obviously. Yeah. Um, I really miss her like on a, like on a daily basis, you know, like if, if I, if I could tell her that I was doing this with you, she'd be running laps like around the bedroom. She was the biggest, 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 big brother fan I ever continued watching, you know, um, when it went to channel five and then sadly died the year after it started. But, um, I I miss her every day. Like I think about her every day and it it hurts a bit less, but I just she was my person. Like she was my sounding board. Mm. Um so I think like on a sort of rather a sad morose level like she's she's who I'd love 5 minutes with just even to just tell her how much I miss her because in life she felt invisible. Really? She felt um, she never married. She never had kids. She lived in France with the mad mother. Right. And um, so she was very damaged by that. And it damaged her relationships in the end. She, she had boyfriends and stuff, but nothing sort of ever lasted or was serious. And in the end, kind of me and, and she knew that you loved her. Oh, my God. She did. Yeah. I mean, I lavished her. I was so annoying. I was like a puppy. I was constantly by her side. Um, and, uh, but I think she loved it. You know, she loved, she loved the love. Um, but I miss her a lot. You're a life scale. You are, aren't you? (laughs) Always have been, always will be. Right. Should I put you onto the spotlight now? Yes. If there was someone in your life, that you would definitely not want to reunite with, mm. who would it be and why? I, I did once interview Shirley MacLaine. Go on. And she made me cry. <gasps> what? And I really loved Shirley MacLaine. Like, she was iconic for me in my life. And mm. I grew up with her and she was so funny. And this was for Terms of Endearment. It was right at the beginning of my career. And... Um, I, I asked her at the beginning of the interview if I could ask her a bit of a boring question at the beginning, if I could ask her just to see the film because it was quite complicated. And she said, yeah, yeah, sure. But she was kind of lighting the room. I don't think she'd really listened. And so I asked her the first question. I said, 
because it's quite a complicated film, would you mind praising it for me? And she went, oh. You're joking. Really? <gasps> and I was like, I started laughing because I thought, she was taking I a joke. just told you yeah, I'm yeah, going to yeah. do this. Like, And then she just stayed like that. And I thought, oh, you're not joking. I could feel my cheeks. No. It's like someone slapped me on both cheeks. I was like, ouch. And then I said, oh, don't worry. I'll ask you the next question. I mean, so sad. (laughs) (laughs) And um, she went, hold on a minute, honey. I'm trying to get over the first question you asked me. I was like, that, okay. Oh, Tell me when I can ask you. Like a solitary tear runs down my cheek. Stop it. Well, (laughs) Shirley can do what she likes. Off you go. To be fair, to be fair, you know, she may have just been having a horrific day and I might have just been really annoying and bouncy. You know, I don't know. Still don't matter, though. We wouldn't do that. Uh, No, we wouldn't. We wouldn't do that. And I'll tell you what, I've interviewed massive, huge stars and they have always been lovely. Yeah. So I think, like, you don't have to be like that. No, no one has to be like that. I'm going to ask you one last question. Yeah, yeah. And this is a nice one. This is a nice one. If me and you were to reunite 10 years from now, where is Davina McCall? Where would you be? 10 years from now. Okay, 64. I would probably be still in telly a little bit. Like I'd, be, I'd still have, like, a big toe in telly. Um, I would be abroad for a couple of months a year in January, February. And you'd probably come and visit me. Most probably. In my chalet villa, wherever I, wherever I am. <laughs> and um, I would be a drummer in a band called Mutton. <laughs> and we'd sing and inappropriate songs for women our age. That's probably the best answer I've had all series. <laughs> Genuinely. <laughs> uh, and if mutton don't go number one, I'm protesting. <laughs> You're not going to hold you to that now, didn't you? <laughs> I really want to start playing the drums. We've got a drum kit in our basement. <laughs> and I really want to learn. Oh, my God. I can't. I literally, mutton for number one. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> mutton for number one. Davina, you are... One of the nicest. You really, really are off screen, on screen. Just you're a decent human. And I'm so thrilled that you're happy. And I'm so thrilled that you, whenever I see you, you look so happy and you deserve it. You really, really do. And thank you so much for coming on here. It's been such a pleasure to speak to you. I love you so much. You know that, don't you? I know that. And I love you too. Okay. Oh, a massive thank you to the gorgeous Davina for coming on the podcast. That was a really lovely surprise. And I've got to say as well, thank you for being so open and so honest. Uh, you guys know what I'm going to say. I've done loads more reunions with all of your favourite celebs. We've got Vernon Kay, Rochelle Humes, Don French. You can check them all out in the podcast feed. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. A massive thank you for listening to this reunion brought to you by Sky at Bingo. And don't stress, I'll be back with another one really soon. Take care.